Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. A woman, jealous of her ex-boyfriend's new lover and outraged at the loss of his money, decided to ruin his life in a horrific, gruesome fashion, all while blaming him for the entire thing. So lately I became interested in Factor, a partner of HelloFresh. I really like them, so I decided to give Factor a shot too. Factor has a team of gourmet chefs that create each of their meals using only the best ingredients to keep you feeling your best all day. They help you with nutritional goals by delivering fresh, never-frozen, dietitian approved meals right to your home. This August, you can go ahead and get Factor and start eating well without any of the hassle. They're ready in only two minutes with no prep and no mess. It's simple to choose your meals and enjoy the fresh, flavorful food they deliver to you. It's great if you're too busy with summer goals to cook, but you still want to make sure you eat well. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store, not to mention the prepping, cooking, and cleaning up afterwards. Best of all, you'll still get the nutritional quality and good flavor you need. All you've got to do is heat it up and enjoy, then get back to doing what you do. Factor offers Gourmet Plus meals as part of their weekly options, too. That way, you can get a little gourmet action with your meal plan whenever you're looking for something special. I mean, the steak on the Gourmet Plus meals is good even after you reheat it. It's not too dry or too tough or anything. For this video, I decided to try the Peanut Buddha Bowl. Just open the thing up, microwave for two minutes, and it's done. It tastes great, too. I definitely recommend it. On the side, you'll even get some premium produce like broccoli and broccolini, perfectly complementing that protein. Pretty soon, they'll even have surf and surf, shrimp and salmon, and surf and turf, shrimp and steak options, too. Bottom line, Factor offers a lot of options that make it easy to stick to your goals. So head to factor75.com or click the link below and use code DIRETRIP50 to get 50% off your first Factor box. And now, on to the content. Mark Van Dongen was a man born out in Holland. He did pretty well at his university back home in the Netherlands before moving to England in 2011 to study at the University of Bristol, where he would go on to graduate and work as an engineer. Unfortunately, before coming to England, Mark had contracted AIDS from a short-term fling back home. His reaction to the contraction of this disease was responsible, with Mark only looking for prospective partners through dating sites in which people with AIDS could meet. Berlina Wallace was a fashion designer in the making from South Africa, born back in 1969. At some point, she ended up with HIV herself. She says this was due to gang sexual violence when she was younger. In 1994, she moved out to England with her partner at the time, a man named Ray Wallace, who was a UK citizen that had been living in Randburg. The two separated about 10 years later, though, shortly after she met Mark after he came to the country to study. The two began a relationship pretty shortly after Mark first arrived in the country. Despite Berlina being about 20 years older than Mark, the two hit it off pretty well. They had met on one of those HIV-positive dating sites, and the two quickly became very close. Once Berlina met Mark's father, who was living in Belgium, he was less than impressed. I had the impression she was using him, said the 56-year-old man. I wasn't sure about it, but he was in love with her. I think Mark was more in love with her than the other way around. Despite this bad feeling, Mark's father did try to work towards getting along with her, saying, I always treated her as my own daughter. She called me Papa Keese. I've always been very good with her. However, behind closed doors, Mark and Berlina's relationship was bad from day one. It started with regular verbal abuse coming from Berlina. After not too long, it got physical. 
These physical attacks started out as slaps and moved their way up to much more severe attacks, such as one incident in which she poured a kettle of boiling water all over him. Mark, though, didn't want to get her in any trouble with the police, so when he went for medical treatment, he told the police that he had done it to himself on accident. Despite all of this, after not too long, the two moved in together. Berlina remained chronically unemployed. She stayed in school for as long as she could, but eventually she barely even showed up to class at all. Mark was now living as a civil engineer, making pretty great money, and Berlina used his wages to both fund her extravagant lifestyle and to send back home to her family. Not only was she physically mistreating Mark and wasting all of his money, she started devising ways to prevent him from leaving. She manipulated his emotions into getting him to stay, often threatening self-harm, saying that she would do so if he ever attempted to leave. If that wasn't enough, she told Mark that she would tell the police that he beat her if he ever did attempt to leave, something that there's no evidence he ever actually did. On top of that, she even stole his passport to keep him from leaving the country. Her attempts to keep him around gradually got more and more desperate. She continually claimed that she was pregnant, always conveniently miscarrying before ever showing any signs of actually being pregnant, and then repeating the process over and over again. Mark would go on to put up with this for five grueling years. Berlina went from threatening to end her own life to threatening to end Mark's as well. Mark's friends and co-workers often saw his injuries, such as one day when he showed up to lunch covered in scratches after Berlina flew into a jealous rage. He would often make up excuses as to where the injuries came from. Mark was miserable. He came to the realization that, no matter what Berlina might try, he needed to get out in one way or another. He decided to move on gradually. Seeing what was out there, he decided to go online once again in 2015, where he met a woman named Violet. The two met up for a date, and it went so well that they decided to meet up again. Just from hanging out with Violet in public, Mark started to realize how nice a real relationship with a genuine person could be. Once Berlina heard that Mark had moved on, she instantly lost her cool about it. It was only one month later when Mark was calling the police, saying that Berlina had been calling and harassing both him and his girlfriend and even attempting to blackmail them. A police officer called her and informed her that what she was doing violated the Protection from Harassment Act. Berlina didn't really care. She continued to make continuous silent phone calls to Violet and threatening to end her life to Mark. Things were actually getting much darker than that behind closed doors. Berlina took a fascination in the increasing number of local acid attacks occurring throughout the UK. She started obsessively researching them online, looking at hundreds and hundreds of articles. She bought herself a one-liter bottle of acid off of Amazon. Once it arrived at her door, she quickly removed the label and stored it away. At around this time, she made the worrying statement to a counselor that she felt she could destroy everything around her. Mark, sensing that things were getting much worse, confided to his father that he was scared of Berlina and worried about what she might try to pull. By September, Berlina was deep into her acid attack research. Her queries started getting more and more specific. She took a particular interest in what might happen if someone were to drink the acid. She also continued to read article upon article about all of the recent acid attacks occurring throughout the country. She googled how to get back an ex-boyfriend, what to say to them, and how to behave around them, all while plotting a murder on the side in case those attempts didn't work out. She even went as far as looking up potential defenses that she might be able to use in order to argue her innocence if the police ever started to investigate her. It goes without saying that her plan was very thoroughly thought out. Then, one fateful night, she called Mark and told him that she was giving up, that she was moving back to South Africa because she no longer had anything left. 
She said that, before that, she might just end it all then and there. Mark, still feeling responsible for what she might do, went over to try and talk to her. He arrived at Berlina's home in the affluent Westbury Park area of Bristol. While he didn't want her to hurt herself, he did reiterate to her that their relationship was absolutely over. He made it clear that he was moving on with his new girlfriend, Violet. As a gesture of goodwill, possibly out of feeling a little bit guilty, he even agreed to keep paying her rent for the time being. On top of that, he offered to give her £750 a month to live off of. This still wasn't good enough for her. Mark decided to stay the night, just to make sure that she didn't try to hurt herself overnight. Once she supposedly fell asleep, he stripped down to his boxers and turned in for the night himself. Berlina then left the room, went outside, and called up her ex-boyfriend for reasons unknown. Then she came back into the kitchen and filled a glass with acid. At 2am, she woke Mark up, screaming, If I can't have you, nobody can, and threw acid all over his body, all while laughing in his face. Mark screamed, You threw acid on me, as his body started to billow what looked like smoke. Berlina then turned and tried to run away. Mark somehow made his way outside of the home where a neighbor, upon hearing his screaming, came across the horrific sight. Mark was stumbling around, covered in what appeared to be mud. Little did the neighbor know, this was his own skin, burning and falling off. She said, I looked out of the window and there was a guy standing there in his boxer shorts and he looked a really odd color from his head down to his shoulders. My doorbell rang a few times and I knew there was something desperate going on and it was him. He looked like he was covered in a clay sort of mud, which I later realized was his skin melting. The neighbors phoned the police and took Mark to a building around the corner in order to shower him off. Little did they know, they were taking him back towards Berlina's apartment. He told them in a panic, she lives there, she lives there, as they assured him that they were going to a different building. In the lighting of the bathroom, it became very clear that Mark had suffered horrific injuries. Trying to comfort him, they assured him that the police were on their way, to which he responded, they need to be here, she needs to pay. The first paramedic arrived at the scene to find Mark with chemical burns all over his face, chest, abdomen, and thighs. He kept repeating that he couldn't see, asking the paramedic if he even still had eyelids. He was foaming at the mouth with what looked like gray paint. The first police officer who arrived on scene noted that Mark's eyes had turned gray, with his irises having essentially dissolved. They got into the ambulance with Mark as he screamed in pain. As he was administered gas, he pointed towards a tattoo on his stomach that said Berlina, saying, Berlina Wallace, she needs to go to prison for this. He then urged the officers to go out to Violet's house and check on her, sure that Berlina was going to be heading for her place next. In reality, Berlina had gone back to her home and sat down on the sofa as she called her ex-boyfriend one more time. Shortly after, the police showed up to arrest her, only to find her calmly sitting in the quiet room herself. An officer then asked her what kind of substance she had thrown on Mark. She responded plainly that it was acid, pointing to an empty bottle on the floor, saying that she had been using it to distress some fabric. She was quickly arrested. When she was taken in for an interrogation, she lied to the police, saying that Mark had actually been the violent one all along. She told them that he had told her to go on ahead and end her life by drinking the acid. She said that she threw it back at him, thinking it must only be water. She then said that she wanted to help him into the bath to wash it off, but he had run out of the house instead. And Mark would have been the only person that, would have, that could have 
put the acid in that glass. Yeah, he did, you know, because he said to me it was water. He, I've got water for you, right. you know, like you come and take your medication and go to bed. He wanted to me to, to burn my insides. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, it would be awful, yeah. No, it's not. You know, it's just like this man betrayed me. When he said, when he told you it was acid, what else did he say, if anything? Did he, you know, it, obviously I wasn't there, but I can imagine his reaction would have been somewhat alarming, perhaps. Yeah, he said, you threw acid at me. Yeah. You know, like, you know, that's when, you know, and then, um, you know, I just, you know, I just realized it was, okay. you know, like, and like a smelly and, you know, like in a house and then and he was saying, oh, it hurts, it hurts, you know, and then, you know, like, that's when I wanted to help him. And I appreciate I probably know the answer to this, but I will ask you anyway. Why didn't you call the ambulance? You know, I was just like um, confused and about loads of loads of things. Like uh, I was confused. The police didn't really believe her at all. She was charged with throwing a corrosive substance with intent to cause grievous bodily harm and was held in custody. Mark had been taken to a decontamination room at the Southmead Hospital in Bristol, where, upon seeing his reflection in the mirror, he let out a horrific scream in terror, exclaiming, Kill me now. If my face is going to be left looking like this, I don't want to live. Mark was soon in no position to give the police any more information that might be able to help. It took them ten days to find out where his family lived back in Belgium. Throughout this time, he was all alone in intensive care, suffering incredible pain. After contact was made with the family, Mark's brother Barch was the first to come out and see him. He didn't even recognize Mark at this point. Mark spent about two months in the intensive care unit before being moved into the burn unit. All throughout this time, he suffered from horrific pain, recurring septic infections, night terrors, and a very bad case of PTSD. His brother said, The continuous itching of his scars drove him out of his mind. On his arm, all the muscle was gone. His bone was slowly being eaten away by the acid. Before too long, Mark fell into a coma. When Mark's father, Keese, came out to see his son, he thought there must have been some sort of error. He said, There were six rooms, one next to another. We looked in every room, and we looked at every person in bed. At first, I said there's been a mistake. Mark is not here. A doctor then appeared and told him that his son was in room one, a room that he had already checked. This had actually been the first patient that Keyes looked at, and he didn't even recognize him. Burns covered over a quarter of Mark's body, and much of the damaged skin had to be surgically removed. His face was covered in scarring, completely unrecognizable. His left eye was blind, and his right eye was left with barely any sight. For months, Mark was in a coma while receiving intensive care, fed through a tube and breathing only through a ventilator. Eventually, his lower leg even had to be amputated. Ten months after the attack, Mark woke up and was finally able to give the police a little more detail as to what had happened. This was a very slow process, though. He only had movement in his mouth, leaving his only method of communication to be sticking his tongue out whenever his father's finger moved across a letter on an alphabet board. After a while, he became able to speak, but he was paralyzed from the neck down. 
It wasn't too long before depression took hold and Mark stopped responding to anything in general. He would often get very easily irritated and angry with the staff at the hospital. Sometimes he did say that he wanted to live, but most of the time he said that he would have preferred not to. It soon became very evident that he was going to need lifetime care, and he was moved out into a facility. Keese asked Mark if he would like help moving, but Mark said that he wanted to do it himself in order to keep some semblance of independence. After this conversation, Keese returned home to Belgium to work. However, the next day, Mark called his father, screaming, asking for him to come back. His father rushed back as soon as he could, and Mark was in a frantic state. He was screaming, covered in his own excrement, completely melting down. This was when Keese decided to take him back to Belgium with him. They soon got him out of the country and back home with his father without informing the police. After arriving in Belgium, Mark developed another chest infection and was told that he would need a tube to be inserted into his throat to remove the liquid. This would likely mean that he would lose his voice, unable to speak again. With his last remaining bit of autonomy stripped away, Mark decided to apply for euthanasia. After a month, the doctors who reviewed his case decided that, due to the unbearable physical and psychological suffering, he met the criteria under Belgian law. His father, although understandably devastated, understood what Mark was going through, saying, No one wants to live like that. I no longer left his bedside. He was constantly itching. I had to support his arm to try and relieve the nerve pain. There is membrane around the bones. It was full of holes. The sulfuric acid continued to burn. It was unbearable pain. Mark insisted that his father be there with him on his final journey. The euthanasia was done on January 2nd in 2017 after 15 months of non-stop suffering. Mark was only 29 years old. All throughout this time, Berlina had been telling anyone who would listen that Mark was controlling and violent and that she thought she was only throwing a glass of water at him. One of Keese's final promises to Mark was that he wouldn't miss a minute of the court case. Berlina, now on trial for murder, continued to deny any sort of wrongdoing. Even while Mark's injuries were described in detail, she remained emotionless on the stand. The only time she did cry was when it became more evident that she wasn't going to get away with this. She told the court that she and Mark had gotten into an argument when he boasted to her that he had slept with another woman. She said that she responded by saying, why don't you just kill me, to which he responded by going to the kitchen, coming back with a cup of acid, and urging her to drink it herself. However, realizing that this wasn't the most believable story, she later changed it up, saying that Mark had gotten a glass of water for her, and after they got into an argument, she threw what she thought was the water back on him. She told the court that Mark must have been angry because she threatened to reveal his dark past, saying that he had been a prostitute in the Netherlands when he was a teenager. There doesn't seem to be any truth to this claim at all. When asked about the extensive Google searches covering the acid attack, she told the court that she was thinking about ending her life, saying that she wanted to know what would happen if she used the acid on herself, especially if she drank it. Prosecutors told the court how Berlina had read 82 different articles about acid attacks just in the few days leading up to the attack. When asked about the sheer volume of the reading, Berlina responded that she was only curious. She said that she didn't even read them, she only looked at the pictures. She said the date in which she looked at the articles was merely pure coincidence. In a bid to gain sympathy from the court, she started to say that Mark had been violent and racist all throughout their five-year relationship, making all manner of claims, such as that he forced her out naked onto the street while on a trip and that he kicked her in the back and punched her in the head. She said that Mark's injuries and calls to the police were completely made up. 
She was apparently very distraught that he had been saying that she was stalking him. Berlina Wallace did not win her court case. After a month-long trial, she was sentenced to life with a minimum of 12 years. She was found guilty of throwing a corrosive substance with intent. The thing is, she was acquitted on her murder charges. This is because Mark didn't actually die as a direct result of the attack, but of the euthanasia 15 months later. In an absolutely bizarre, roundabout sort of way, she wasn't found to be responsible for his murder. Despite this, the trial judge called the attack premeditated, sadistic, malicious, and callous, noting that she targeted Mark when he was at his most vulnerable, focusing first on his face and then on his body. Adding that Berlina was manipulative, controlling, and dangerous, she told her, Your intention was to burn, disfigure, and disable Mark Van Doggen so that he would not be attractive to any other woman. It was an act of pure evil. Mark's father, Kees, was not all too happy with the sentencing, feeling it was all too light. He said it was, quote, too little because we as a family have been sentenced to life. Speaking of Berlina, he said, I never knew that she was like this, and it turns out that she really pulled the wool over our eyes from day one. The minimum of 12 years isn't long enough. I hope that she messes up inside prison and doesn't become eligible for parole. He, along with many others, would rather have the assurance that Berlina Wallace would be put away for the rest of her life. At this rate, it's possible that she'll be eligible for parole in as early as 2027, taking into account the time that she was in custody before being sentenced. Still, though, she will only be released if the parole board determines that she no longer poses a danger to anyone. But many people feel that she does not deserve this luxury, and for good reason. Attacks using corrosive acid have been on the rise in the UK throughout recent years, especially in London. In 2016 alone, more than 450 separate attacks took place. Two-thirds of the victims were actually men, usually in cases connected to either robberies or gang violence. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.